Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll chat with a friend whom I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8:28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll share writing and publishing questions from our listeners. However, once in a while, I'll offer bonus content, a special interview that's out of the norm for the format of our show, and today is one of those days. So let's get started. All right, we are back again for another bonus content segment of the All Things Podcast, continuing the conversation on racial injustice. And um, I had a conversation uh, a little bit ago with one of our Redemption Press authors, Debbie Midget, and she was sharing some of her struggles uh, with, she has uh, three um, black and biracial children, and just some of the um, challenges that they've encountered. And uh, so I asked her to come on today and share just her experience. So first of all, Debbie, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Great to have you. Thank you, Athena. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, but before we talk about just some of the uh, racial issues that they've faced, not only as white parents um, raising black children, but just it, it just related to um, some of the issues that they have encountered. Um, they have such an incredible Romans 828 story of how Debbie even ended up adopting these three children. So Debbie, I would love for you to share that story first before we jump into the racial injustice issue. Great. I'd love to. It's my favorite story. <laughs> I'll bet. I can imagine. It's so oh, amazing. You know, sometimes I look back and I think if I hadn't lived this, I don't know that I would have believed it. Um, that's one reason why I wrote the book Child of Promise, because I thought I have got to put this down because it's so amazing. Oh, so um, uh, my husband, Phil, and I uh, were married in April 1978 which in the year 2020 sounds like a long time ago, <laughs> but in reality, it doesn't feel very long ago. Yeah. But we, not realizing it, immediately hopped on the infertility roller coaster. Every month was hope followed by heartbreak, mm. month after month, year after year. And for me, I had grown up knowing that there were two things that God had created me to be. And one was a mother and the other was a writer. And the thought that I would not have these children that were so, um, I was so longing for just broke my heart month after month. But eventually God began to speak to us about transracial adoption. So finally, in April of 1988, we were matched with an agency that promised us a baby by the end of the year. Wow. So in April that day, I was in my living room cleaning, 
and I was daydreaming, of course, about a Christmas with our, our first baby. And out of the blue, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, call the agency, cancel the adoption, <clears throat> excuse me, your baby isn't coming through them. Whoa. 10 <laughs> years. <laughs> oh, my. But I had had a lifetime of experiences of hearing God. And there are times when God speaks to you that you know that you know it's him. Mm -hmm. So I talked it over with Phil and we obeyed. We canceled the adoption. And then we started waiting all over again. But honestly, I only had patience for one month. So on May 19th, 1988, I once again stood in my living room cleaning. I, I did clean between those two times, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked out loud, God, I did what you said. Now, when is my baby coming? So you can imagine my shock when he told me. A scripture popped into my head that I wasn't familiar with, and I ran and grabbed my Bible, and I looked up the scripture. It was 2 Kings 4.16, and I read, about this time next year, you will embrace your son. Mm. I, by that time, was shaking. Yeah. I was overwhelmed. I mean, God had spoken to me in the past, but nothing this specific, this monumental. Mm. <clears throat> He also told me a couple of things. He reminded me that in the past, sometimes when he'd given me promises, that if I had shared them without really praying about who I was to share it with, if that person hadn't heard the promise, sometimes their lack of faith diluted my faith. Right. And so he told me that he wanted me to be like Mary, who pondered this in her heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I wrote down the day, because he said exactly, in the scripture, it says about this time next year, but God told me exactly one year from today, you will embrace your son. So I wrote it in my journal, and I didn't tell anybody. I did, however, begin to buy baby boy clothes. <laughs> so that kind of triggered some concern in my friends and family and one night, Phil and I were on our way to a Bible study, and he told me that some friends had approached him and that they were concerned about me. They felt that um, I needed to consider the possibility that maybe children weren't God's plan for us. Hmm. And that, um, you know, maybe we were supposed to be missionaries somewhere or a kind of a ministry where it wasn't, you know, uh, easy to have children there and that I needed to consider that and then they said something that broke my heart they said Debbie is obsessed mm. we went to the Bible study that night and I sat off in the corner during worship and I just started to cry and it wasn't just because I was afraid that maybe there was going to be no baby but because I thought it broke my heart to think that I might have wasted 10 years of my life hmm. leaving something that wasn't God's plan. And just as I was about to give up, the Lord spoke to my heart again. And he said, daughter, what they call obsession, I call faith. That's powerful. 
it, it was. It definitely was. <laughs> yes. And I just, I just hung on to that. And I was like, God, I know that people don't understand that they think that I've gone over the deep end. But uh, I know and I know in my spirit that you're in this. Mm. And so I just hung on. Now, in October of that year, I was invited to a baby shower, which, of course, was very difficult. But when I came into the room, I saw a woman that I'd uh, gone to church with a few years before. I hadn't seen her for quite a while. But she motioned me over, and I sat down by her. And the very first thing she said to me was, Debbie, I have a baby for you. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it was so powerful. I looked around thinking she literally had a baby for me. <laughs> but she explained that there was a young woman that was um, living with her and her family and that um, she was uh, pregnant and she was making an adoption plan and she'd heard about Phil and me. And she believed that God had spoken to her that this was our baby. Wow. So uh, there, were, there are so many other amazing things that happened uh, to confirm this. And um, I won't go into all the details, but they're just uh, goosebump inducing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, but I was confused too. It was, I knew that this was our baby, but I was a little confused because what about the May 19th promise? Uh, this baby was due on November 5th. Mm. But I just, I'm very practical, and I was like, well, I will let God sort that out, but right now I know this is my baby. <laughs> so our son, uh, Alex, was born on November 5th, and three days after he was born, we picked him up at the hospital, and then we went to see the judge um, to get temporary custody, and they had to do our home study, and then we would uh, be given um, legal custody. Legal rights with Alex. And so as we were leaving the courtroom that day, the judge stopped us. And of course, my heart dropped. I had been fighting such a fear. It, it seemed so surreal that I was afraid that at any point someone would come up and say, oh, this is a mistake. Uh, yeah. Waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when I turned to face the judge, I'm holding Alex, and he said, I need to say something, and my heart dropped. He said, I've done many adoptions through the years, but I have never experienced what I have today. He said, there is something very special about this adoption, and I would like the privilege of choosing your next court date. And so, of course, Phil and I nodded like, Judge, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> so he took out a calendar and he flipped through and then he looked up, looked up and looked me in the eye and he said, on May 19th, 1989, Alex will legally and forever be your son. Man. Woo! <laughs> I... And it took me, it, I was, again, it was almost like in a dream, and I didn't even react until we got to the car, and I started crying. And Phil, of course, he knew nothing about the date. I hadn't told anyone. And uh, he thought I was upset in some way, and he's like, it's okay, the judge said that it's, it's going to happen, that Alex is going to be our son. And I looked at him, and I said, I know, because another judge already told me that. <laughs> Wow. So um, 
Now you think that one miracle like that would be enough for a lifetime, but God proved that he wanted to bless us above and beyond. And 11 years later, God woke me up in the middle of the night and spoke to my spirit again. And he said, your time as a family of three is ending. You're about to become a family of four. And I went back to sleep. That was all he said. Mm. We weren't on any waiting list. But the next morning at nine o'clock, I got a phone call. And six weeks later, I held our son, Ethan. Man. Yeah. <laughs> By this time, he, God's got my attention. He's like, I'm, I am being very specific. I want to prove something here. Mm -hmm. But I knew that God wasn't quite done yet. So sure enough, the following January, Ethan was uh, a year old. Alex was um, um, 12 by that time. And God spoke to me. He had given me a dream, but then he spoke to me and he said that our daughter would be coming the next month in February. So like before, I didn't tell anybody about the promise, but I began to ponder and prepare. And I asked my sister-in-law, Val, to come and help me get our home ready because we moved into a new home, which was a miracle in itself. And then I'd been sick and then Ethan was born. And so I'd never really completely unpacked. And so she just thought that I was, you know, getting some things put together, but I, I didn't tell her why. On February 1st, we finished all the projects. Val left. I sat down and I picked up Ethan and I said out loud, well, God, it's February 1st. I'm ready for my daughter whenever you are. Athena, five minutes later, my phone rang. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the agency that we had uh, used for Ethan's home study called and said, um, do you still want an African-American baby girl? And I said, with all my heart. Mm. And she said, we've called all over the state and there are no waiting families. Wow. And that just broke my heart. Mm. Mm -hmm. I was like, God, where is the church yeah. in this? And so um, three days later, actually a little less than three days later, we held our daughter Kate for the first time. Mm. That just is so encouraging how God, when we don't see it and others don't see it and they tell us they don't see it and they <laughs> think we're crazy yeah God is doing the romans 828 thing oh again and, again. Things. and you know i've often said um as much as i know god loves me and that he wanted to give me the desire of my heart um i believe he's he did some was doing something bigger you know he's a, he is the ultimate multitasker <laughs> and so I don't think he miraculously gifted us with these three beautiful children just because we asked for him. I, I really believe he has a deeper purpose. And in the situations that we've been going through in the last few months, I'm really uh, beginning to feel like God uh, wants to use our story 
and our children uh, just to help bridge some of the racial divides um, in the church. And, uh, you know, we've been, we've all watched what's been going on and it's heartbreaking and it's frustrating, but God is the only one that can bring something good out of something bad. Exactly. And I honestly believe that as frustrating and heartbreaking as this is, that he is going to bring gold out of this. Mm. It may not be the purpose of the people that are doing these things, but God can redeem it. He is sovereign and he is on the throne and this is not catching him like, really? I didn't right. know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's not surprised. No. So, okay, we've got about seven or eight minutes. So share with us some of the challenges like you shared with me before um, mm -hmm. that some of your kids have faced being black or biracial. Okay. Well, uh, when Alex was um, born, Alex is 31 now, and um, we lived in um, a, a town not too far from where we are, but um, we did face some racial prejudice there. Um, during Martin Luther on Martin Luther King's birthday one year, our house was egged, mm -hmm. and um, we there was a period of time when people, someone we don't we never found out who, would leave a black cats with their throat slit mm. in our front yard. Wow. And uh, and where do you and where is that? Where were we you live? Uh, we live right on the other side of uh, the river from Peoria. At this point, we were Illinois. living in Illinois, uh, okay. East Peoria. Okay. In a uh, predominantly uh, white area um, in, uh, across the river. So, but at that point, there was also um, a lot of, there was a, a man from East Peoria that became uh, nationally famous uh, as a racist and he just inspired a lot of hate and racism. Mm. And so this, I felt like this was kind of a, you know, instigated by that situation but it definitely you know created fear in me uh you know not just you know as as we were raising alex and then later ethan and kate you know there's also always concerns as a mom it's like how would their life look like how will they be what were their friends be like you know how are things going to be for them but i'd never really been concerned about their life about their physical uh, care mm -hmm. and so um, that was really scary and so we moved <laughs> uh, God graciously uh, gave us a miraculous uh, move we live in the country now and not too far from where we were but uh, but in some ways it's um, you know many many miles <laughs> from right. where we were um, but you know, one thing, uh, the, our kids went to um, private Christian school, and uh, to some degree, that was uh, you know a positive experience. But within the schools, I was very at times disappointed and and really shocked at uh, some of the insensitivity um, that they that the teachers and the administrators exhibited. And uh, I remember one time having a conversation with the principal, and um, he said, well, all of my teachers are colorblind. 
And I said, I don't want them to be colorblind. I just want them to understand that my kids have, are facing different situations than some of the other kids. I, I don't want special treatment, but on the other hand, I don't want you to be so open-minded that your brains fall out. (laughs) And so that was, um, that was through the, almost all the way through school. That was kind of a struggle, um, not only through the Christian schools, but uh, in the public schools too. Wow. Um, and especially with the two younger ones. Um, but one thing that happened recently that was really um, heartbreaking to me is uh, during the riots just a few weeks ago, uh, we had sent our son, Ethan, who's 20, over to our auto body business to get something out of the shop for Phil. And Phil gave him the key and he was trying to get the lock opened and it wouldn't work. And there uh, is a, a business next door and there were a lot of people like a restaurant that were watching and they called the police on Ethan. Mm. And just because he was black, just because he was black. And, um, I honest, I believe with all of my heart that if it had been a month before, before those riots, no one would have thought a thing. Mm. But it just seemed like the riots just heightened the mistrust and the fear with everyone. Now, fortunately, when the police called us, and of course, Phil said, that's my son. And, you know, he has permission to be there. And uh, but Ethan had already left, so he never had to con- confront the police or deal with them at all. And so he wasn't traumatized nearly as much as I was. <laughs> but uh, those are things, you know, that I, there have been times we've had to sit down with our kids and say, this is a fact of life. If for some reason an officer pulls you over, um, you know, you're polite, you you don't open the door, you keep your hands on the steering wheel. and you know, these are things that most people might need to tell their children, but we especially have to be very cautious of warning our children um, just to be aware of what their actions uh, might be perceived as. And, and that's sad. Um, But it it is, it's the way of the world at the moment. Yes. So um, as we kind of start to wrap this up, um, is, would you say there's anything that us uh, white people, I mean, you're, you're white, so, but just how have we been insensitive to that struggle in your life and said yeah. things and said things that were insensitive or uh, demeaning or offensive? Oh, my. Um, <laughs> the, I, the one that really sticks with me is one time... Um, a woman uh, came into my husband's business and I wasn't there. Um, And she was an elderly woman that, you know, I try to give grace. I really do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, and I know she didn't mean it this way, but she saw a picture on Phil's desk of our family. And she looked at him and in all sincerity, she said, Oh honey, couldn't you get any white babies? Oh, ouch. And I just, when Phil told me that, I was just, well, I was furious, yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest, you know, yeah. but, uh, but the, it's always shocking to me that those kind of thoughts are still in people's minds. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, so yeah, those, 
and one time I remember I was out with Alex and he was probably about maybe 10 and uh, we were shopping and, and again, an elderly woman walked up and she said, um, oh honey, are you fostering the boy? Mm. And I put my arm around Alex and I said, this is my son. And under my breath, I muttered, in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, those are, those attitudes are there. They may not always be, you know, expressed, but they're there still. Mm. Wow. Well, it's, you know, we have to really just be asking the Lord, reveal what's in our hearts so we can repent when we need to. Exactly. Treat people that way. Right. Absolutely. So, okay. So we're wrapping up. What one thought would you like to leave with our listeners to just encourage them to um, grow in this area of really standing up for justice? Well, I think the one thing that I personally would love to see would be more interaction between the black and the white churches. Mm. Uh, I, when I look back on my children's experiences, um, I wish that we had that happen more often in our lives. Uh, there's been some, but I really feel like that if this is going to be addressed by the church, it has to happen that way. We can't continue to stay in our own little buildings, uh, in our own little worlds, uh, we have to remember that we're the body of Christ and that we need to step up and show the world what real unity looks like. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for being with us today. If um, anyone wants to find you on social media or online, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I do have um, a Facebook page for Child of Promise, which is um, our story of our adoptions, plus a lot more. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, every, every chapter has a miracle. Wow. Um, and so that's on Facebook. I have a, a website, which is uh, childofpromise.org. Okay. And um, so I'd love to hear from anyone that would like to reach out. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an uh, encouraging eye-opening conversation and the lord just bless continue to bless you in your ministry thank you athena i appreciate the opportunity amen so thanks for joining us today for the all things podcast brought to you by redemption press and the romans 828 bookstore so, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful. Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.